Uh, before I read our passage of scripture for our sermon text tonight, I, I should, uh, just in case you're new here tonight, introduce myself. I'm the pastor here. My name's Eric, and I'm so glad all of you came out tonight. Thanks for standing and worshiping so far. I'm going to let you sit in just a second, but I want to keep standing out of reverence for the gospel that we're going to read right now, found in Mark chapter 1. You can follow along in your bulletin on page 6. It reads like this. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your Spirit is saying through this text we ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm, uh, I'm going to be talking to you tonight. Can you all hear me okay? You, you all hear me good? Okay. I'm going to be talking to you tonight about a topic that I would imagine quite a number of of pastors in this city, quite a number of preachers, quite a number of churches, probably try to avoid. I'm going to be talking to you about the devil, about demons, about the dark things. And I suppose, I mean, the reason, you know, it's pretty obvious that this topic is avoided, that this, I should even say, these entities are avoided, to be more specific, is Well, frankly, because we're a city that prides itself on our modern point of view. We pride ourselves on being just a little more sophisticated and uh, a little bit more educated. And so the idea of demonic activity and devils and that kind of thing is, well, I, I think seen as a little problematic for many. A little passe, maybe, if we can use that word. And yet, it's, it's abundantly clear, I mean, from the passage I read to you tonight, that Scripture certainly testifies to the reality of demons and the devil and to spiritual warfare, to the darkness. And so, so let's just deal with it. Let's deal with it head on. And, and what I want to try and do tonight is I, I want to... I want to try to show you at least um, how it could be plausible that demons do exist. Secondly, I want to talk about what the consequences are if they do exist. And thirdly, I want to talk about the solution. Again, if they do exist. So first of all, the possibility slash plausibility of demonic existence. Uh, Again, Scripture is full of testimony about their existence. The Old Testament doesn't have as much. But by the time you get to the Gospels, it's impossible to tell the story of Jesus without talking about demons and the devil. They're everywhere in the Gospel story. And so it is something that's there. 
But because we in the West, specifically in the West, have been trained over and over and over, over the last, I'd say, especially 50 years or so, to see everything having a natural answer. In other words, having a natural explanation, we have been trained to dismiss what Scripture would say here. And our first inclination may be, as we read a story like we did just now from Mark, where we're hearing about a man that has a, quote, unclean spirit, be rebuked, and the unclean spirit comes out of him. Our first inclination would be, well, that was just primitive man's way of dealing with something they couldn't explain. Right? This is just, they didn't have the categories that we do. They didn't have the advances in science that we do. So, I mean, you know, with the advances in modern psychology and, uh, and under the, our understanding of the mind, our understanding about mental illness, I mean, it is true that there has been people throughout history that people assumed were possessed by a demon that, in fact, were just mentally ill. And we found out that if we were able to find a medication that worked, that it actually would cause them to respond and, and it would help them live a productive, healthy life. And so we do have to acknowledge that maybe at one time demon possession was too much of the default answer because we didn't know. But the question we deal with is, does that mean it doesn't exist at all? Does that mean it doesn't exist at all? I think if you go there, I think if your first inclination is to say, like, well, that's just primitive man's way of dealing with the problem. I think you have to consider a few things. First, I think you have to consider that you're not being a chronological snob. This is a phrase coined by C.S. Lewis. I'm not calling you a snob. I'm just asking you to consider the possibility. What he said, essentially, was that we in the West often are guilty of chronological and cultural snobbery. And essentially what he meant was this. Quote, the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate of our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that count discredited. So the idea is, is that if it's not something that fits into our current intellectual climate, then it automatically is false. And C.S. Lewis would say, well, no, that's actually just you being snobbish. Because who's to say that your particular intellectual climate actually has everything figured out now either. I mean, fact is we don't. I guarantee you there are things 100 years from now that we are absolutely convinced are true and right and good that we are going to look back on and go, I cannot believe that people believed that back then. Things that we are absolutely convinced make perfect sense today. It's just part of what we do. Again, the intellectual climate of our day is to believe that everything has a natural explanation in the West. This is where the cultural snobbery comes in. But please keep in mind, if you go to Africa and Asia and South America and other places around the globe, belief in spirits around us and demons and things like that is very normal. It's very it's not abnormal or strange at all. It's, this is a particular issue and aversion in our world, in our place right now. Now, before we go on, let me uh, 
just acknowledge that me pointing out that it could be chronological or cultural snobbery doesn't prove anything. Doesn't prove that demons exist. All it does is prove that maybe, maybe, we're not as advanced as we think we are. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, um, in an article for the Telegraph, the number of exorcists, it's reported that the number of exorcists has quadrupled in the last 10 years in the Western world, and that the demand for exorcisms is so high that they can't keep up right now. Do you know that? In the Western world. So as advanced as we think we are, what's tending to happen is people are going to all the different systems that are in place to deal with their particular problem, and it's not working, it's not helping, and so they're finally going, maybe I've got, maybe it's a spiritual problem. Maybe, maybe the reason I am the way I am is because I am possessed. That's happening more and more and more. But that still doesn't prove it. So the skeptical part of your mind goes, well, but is there any evidence? Does anybody actually produce any evidence? Well, I, I think so, but it, it is to some degree anecdotal. Um, for example, uh, there's a Yale-trained psychiatrist named uh, Richard Gallagher. Uh, he's a doctor, professor of psychiatry actually at uh, Columbia University and New York Medical College. He says there's evidence. In a piece... Uh, for the Washington Post that he wrote last year about this very issue, he talked about the first time he was brought in to examine someone who claimed they were possessed. And this is what he wrote. I was inclined to skepticism, but my subject's behavior exceeded what I could explain with my training. She could tell some people their secret weaknesses, such as undue pride. She knew how individuals she'd never known had died, including my mother and her fatal case of ovarian cancer. Six people later vouched to me that during her exorcisms, they heard her uh, speaking multiple languages, including Latin, completely unfamiliar to her outside of her trances. This was not psychosis, this psychiatrist says. It was what I can only describe as paranormal ability. And so I concluded she was possessed. End quote, Dr. Richard Gallagher, Washington Post. Now let me just speak to you, me to you right now. Generally speaking, I am extraordinarily skeptical of stories of exorcisms, of possessions, of demons, and I think generally we should have that posture. I think it's wise for us to not, um, to not always look for a demon around every corner. I think it's wise for us to assume that in most cases it's not necessarily when somebody's acting up or there's a problem that they're possessed. I, I think that's unhealthy. And so I'm naturally a skeptic of these things. But I do have experience with this that has led me to believe as well that this is the case. It happened to my wife, Missy, who couldn't be here tonight. It was right after we, uh, we had started dating. She was a fairly new Christian, and I'm convinced why what I'm about to tell you happened to her is because of that fact, because she was a fairly new Christian. 
Um, she was working in a mental hospital for a number of years as a nurse. In this particular mental hospital, she was in charge of uh, handing out medications on a pretty regular basis. There's a couple things you need to know about my wife for this story to make any sense as we continue here. Number one, um, my wife's middle name is Jane. This is not published anywhere in the hospital for obvious reasons. My wife's middle name is Jane. Number two, you need to know that ever since my wife is a little girl, uh, and still today, she cannot sleep with the closet door open in our room. It's just a thing. It's always been a thing. She's always been frightened with the closet door open. And so, I mean, even still today, like, if, if I lay down and the closet door is open, she's like, you gotta close it. You gotta close Honey, close the door. It's just, it's a thing. Always been frightened by it. So, She's at work one day, and she's handing out medications, and there's a particular patient that's come in that is not, um, the medication is not doing anything. It's not helping at all for this particular person, and he is absolutely fixated with her. I mean, he just won't stop hassling her. And finally, in a moment where she's handing out the medication, he looks at her and says, out of the blue... Hey, Jane, I know you're scared of what's in the closet. It's me. Of course, my wife is, uh, at this time we're just dating, she is completely freaking out. I mean, in every possible way, as you can only imagine. Like, how in the world does he know my middle name? And how does he know about the closet? You know, I, and she, literally, that's her exact words as she calls me five minutes later. What is going on? How does he know my middle name? And how does he know about the closet? You know. And I had to sit with her and comfort her about what the Bible says in regard to this situation and tell her about God's truth that can be relayed in this scenario, as I will share with you in a little bit. But my point in sharing that story with you, please, please understand, is not in any way to sensationalize this kind of thing. As a matter of fact, I always hesitate telling this story because it can so easily give in to sort of a morbid curiosity we have about these kinds of things. But I tell you that because I... Yes, it's real. And that means the consequences... Well, the consequences of this, if demons are real, is... Uh, it's vast. I mean, it changes everything, right? I mean, it means that... <laughs> The world that we think we have control of, this that uh, little old us have control of, is actually, it's an illusion. We don't have any control at all. We are so much smaller than we imagine. You know, the Bible talks about this battle raging around us, that there's spiritual warfare going on all around us. That's what it says in that passage that Kat read earlier from Ephesians, that there's this battle going on. And that it's raging in ways that we can't even begin to fathom. And so what this means when Jesus comes on the scene is it's war. That's what we see in our passage when Jesus walks into the temple um, or into the synagogue. This demon-possessed man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's terror because they know it is war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. And what are the demons battling for? The same thing the devil has always battled for from the very beginning, to tempt you, to deceive you, to lead you to despair, to destroy you, to draw you away from God, to get you to doubt that God is good to you, loves you, and care for you. That's that's what it is. It's always been his M.O. He's never changed. He's sort of predictable. This is what he does. He did this with our first parents. It's always this story. And he plays on our fundamental human conceit that we think we're in control. If you ever fall into that trap, and we all do, like every day, of thinking that we're in more control than we are, do yourself a favor. Uh, If you can, find a grain of sand. Not so easy here. But you can find it. Find a grain of sand. And look up into space and put that grain of sand in the way of your vision as you look into space. When you do that, that little speck that's in your line of sight, do you know what that little speck is covering? Physicists will tell us it's literally covering thousands of galaxies. Just that little speck. And tens of millions of stars. The reality that we are not living in a world that is dictated by little old us, but in fact is raging with spiritual battle everywhere around us, should humble us. I think there, there, C.S. Lewis said it well, he said there's two equal and opposite errors about uh, the way people deal with, with this reality. Uh, the one is to just ignore it or to pretend as if none of this exists. But then there's another side in which people become sort of obsessed with it and fascinated with it and dig into it and it you know, becomes almost uh, like the, the occult. And, and he says this really nice line at the end of his, um, uh, during his, his introduction to his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a wonderful book if you haven't read it. He says, the demons themselves are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So whether we choose to ignore him, just say, no, 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 it's just matter. Matter is all there is. Or whether we choose to indulge it, magic. We need to avoid both those heirs and just humbly admit there's something we can't understand going on around us. And that leads to my last point, the solution to demonic existence. We'd like to believe that we can fight this problem off ourselves. Um, We have movies that, you know, show people able to find some sort of weapon that can fight off, ward off the spiritual uh, battles out there. Um, one of my favorite shows, I'm sure many of you have seen it, is Stranger Things on Netflix. I mean, that show is essentially all about this battle, right? I mean, it's all about this demon-like figures, the, the, the demogorgon, you know, that are crossing over from what is basically a hell, the upside down, into our world. And, and somehow these kids are able to fight off this, 
this demonic figure. And we like to believe that we could do this, but, but in reality, in reality, we're not up to the task. We can't win. The solution for the spiritual problem of this world, individually and corporately, must come from something or better someone outside of ourselves. Someone who cares enough about us to let us be over, to, to let us not be overcome by these monsters. Someone who knows how to defeat them, who can defeat them just with a word. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Listen again to the words of our text. As the demon-possessed man rails at his presence, Jesus just speaks. Be silent and come out. There's no kicking, there's no punching, there's no weaponry. Just his word. Shut up. Get out of here. And the demon has to flee. Demon convulses the man and leaves. And in response, the crowd, the crowd around him is blown away at this power, and we should be too, because it is this power that has lived perfectly in your place. And it is this power that has died on the cross for your sins, and it is this power that has risen again from the dead and has declared because of that that the devil is defanged forever. The devil, the demons, are defeated foes already. They're defeated. They can bark. They can oppress. They can bother. They cannot possess those who believe in Jesus Christ. They can't. Can't have you. Can't have you. Sure, they can try to tempt you. Can't win. Cannot have you. So you need not fear them. You need not fear these things. Because you, who are in Christ, are possessed by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has promised never to leave you nor forsake you, but to remain with you to the very end and to accomplish the work that he's begun in you. Those are God's words, not the words of an optimistic preacher just hoping it's true. Those are God's words. I heard a story once, and I'm closing right now, I promise. This is only the third time I've mentioned I'm closing, so, you know, we're good. Um, but it's real this time. I heard a story once about this, um, this neighborhood dog. He was just ruthless. All, all the kids in the neighborhood feared him. It's a big pit bull. And, and, of course, rumors had developed about this dog over the years that he had, you know, killed kids and that... Um, you know, that he was incredibly strong and that once his jaw locked that there was nothing anybody could do to avoid this dog and that the dog would have his way with anybody. And so, of course, you know, every kid, when they were walking their way home from school, knew exactly where this dog was at. They could hear his bark and they would just avoid that house with everything in their being. Except one particular kid. This one kid walked by that house with boldness every single day as if there was no big deal. And on top of that, when he walked by, the pit bull all of a sudden seemed like a powerless puppy. 
The pit bull almost seemed afraid of this kid. And people wondered how in the world this could be. This kid would just walk by with his hand in his pocket, lackadaisical, whatever. What no one knew is the boy, the boy knew that that dog had a, one of those electrical collars around his neck. And in his pocket, he carried a little button that as he walked by, he could just press and the dog would shut down immediately. And to some extent, what you have as a member of the body of Christ, as a member of Christ himself, when the devil comes tempting you, when the devil comes barking at you, when the devil comes raging at you, when the devil is reminding you of your past sins and making you feel that you're not worthy and causing all sorts of doubt in you about whether God truly is with you, loves you, cares for you, is going to stay with you, all the things that come, and they do come and they will come, when that happens, remember who is with you. Remember the weapon you have. You can't lose, Christian. You can't. You can't lose. So walk out into this world of darkness and challenge and yes, evil boldly. Your God goes with you. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you're the Lord of the underworld, that that the demons flee at your very word, Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would give us confidence in that word and give us confidence to walk out into our world uh, to face the darkness, knowing that you have made us the light that will bring glory to your name and use us, Father, to bring the same kind of redemption that, that, that you brought in this story. To proclaim Jesus to people so that captives would be freed and liberty would be had. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're about to...